0: good morning welcome to warehouse we are in the last week of the series the kingdom of me and as we conclude this series in a lot of ways we're going to go back to the very beginning last week i as i got to the end of that message as we talk about how do do we grow in the kingdom of god uh, i mentioned things essentially this is what we do and this is what what god does We have to uh, have a certain responsibility for our growth, and God takes the other part of it. And as we go on from here, and as we explore long-term how we grow, there's one final concept, and that's the concept that we're going to get to today. A little bit later, I'm going to look at a passage with you, just one verse where it talks about, Jesus makes this, one of these counterintuitive statements where he says, if you want to save your life, you'll lose it. If you want to lose it for my sake, you'll find it a statement where the disciples, much like us, look at, uh, we have no idea what you're talking about, that statement, like really everything else is set in context, and today I'm going to walk you through the context, because what the issue is about, it's about control, it's about who sets the terms and how we go forward, it's about the biggest place, the biggest difference in the kingdom of God and the kingdom of me, is who has control, who leads, what does it look like to follow? And so this morning, as we begin, the band's going to play a song by Coldplay that talks through that concept of control. Welcome to Warehouse. Yeah, come on, that was really good. (laughs) Um, I don't normally do this, but hey, why not? If this is yours, you can do, is that yours? Free gifts. I'm getting out some other stuff in just a minute. I was going to say, come get it from me afterwards, but, you know, hey, why not right now? Control is one of these uh, massive issues in our life. You know, we, we want it. We um, fear being controlled. And in the Coldplay song, they uh, actually, as they talk you know, self-consciously about the, the lyrics that they wrote for that and how they, even how they sang it, one of the things they were trying to uh, communicate is there's a lot of stuff that goes on in the world outside of our control. We don't want that to lead our lives. We don't want things outside of control. We don't want death and all of his friends, all the bad things. We don't want them to have control of our life. We want to, in some way, steer it. And there's something fearful for most of us. I think it's because we are, we're hardwired with a, a need and a desire and a, 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 a good capacity for freedom. And so when we feel controlled or we lose control, it's very, very difficult for us. And so we want to make it, make decisions, usually, that guard our options, protect what directions we want to go, and not let things outside of our span of control. And so when Jesus says something like, if you want to save your life, you'll lose it. When you'll lose it for my sake, you'll find it. We'll think, oh, that's the case seriously, i got some control issues here, and this is going to be hard. And so what I want to walk through today is, it is an issue of control. Truthfully, I just want to be straight up with you. Following Jesus, entering into a relationship with God, living the life of of a kingdom kingdom liver, of somebody who experiences God, who sees the presence of God flow through each of the nooks and crannies of their life, who learns how to love God and love others, there is an issue of releasing control that's essential to that. And yet I think we often misunderstand what that looks like. Uh, Jesus would say, seems to say, every time we give up control to him, we gain freedom, we gain power. And so I want to walk through this, this passage because it's a fascinating lead up to that, that, that statement. And then, you know, what does it mean for us? How do we live lives like that? So in uh, Matthew chapter 16, Matthew is one of the four accounts of the life of Jesus. And in Matthew chapter 16, this is, the, this is the encounter that happens. Now in the Pharisees and Sadducees, and the Pharisees and Sadducees were just religious leaders of the day. They they had divergent views, theological views that often pitted them against one another. But when it came to Jesus, they found a a common enemy. And so they ended up coming together often to test him on things. And when the Pharisees and the Sadducees came to test Jesus, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He said, when the evening comes, you say, it'll be fair weather because the sky is red in the morning. It will be stormy today because the sky is red and darkening. You know how to judge correctly the appearance of the sky, but you cannot evaluate the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it, except the sign of Jonah. Then he left them and went away. Okay, on the face of it, it looks like S- Jesus, what's the big deal? So they come to you and they say, How about a sign? You say you're, you've come from heaven, you say you have a message that must be embraced in order for life to be lived fully. Is it here you think, Corey? We're having slight mic issues. Um, and they say, you know, give us, a little bit of, give us a little bit of proof here. And Jesus appears to simply refuse them. But as you walk through the passage, it's kind of interesting how he, how, he, uh, how, he, how he deals with them. And, uh, you know, I've talked to you about the netbible.org, which I think is a wonderful way to study the Bible. I'm actually show you uh, part of the process that I use this week as I went through this. You got to netbible.org, and it's uh, on one side you have the English text, and the other side you have the Greek text and the new testament was written in greek it was the, the language of the day and and so the new testament is written in greek and and as i go to the first verse there you see it high, highlighted and then one of the first things i did is i i checked on the word sign because i was wondering they asked him for a sign and what i noticed is that jesus essentially did a play on words when they say we're asking for a sign from heaven he says look you know how to read the signs of the times in other words you know how to read stuff like that you you, you uh you know, when it's a certain way in the sky, it's going to be rainy or all that sort of stuff. We don't know that. Apparently, they didn't know that. And, I, you know, as I walked through that, I found it kind of interesting. He does a little bit of play on words, and then he says, I'm not going to give you a sign except the sign of Jonah. If you don't know what that means, Jonah was in the belly of a whale or a great fish three days, and then, and then came, came out of the, the fish. And so Jesus essentially says, I'm not going to give you a sign. Well, except for rising from the dead, just that. No other sign but that. And then the next thing I did is I clicked on... The word test. They came to test Jesus. And as I clicked on that, one of the things you do in in the netbible.org, if you click on the actual word to test, what will happen is you'll get a definition of it. And as I got a definition of that Greek word, the first uh, meaning that came out was to try whether or not a thing can be done. And as I thought about that, it gave a little more clarity on what the religious leaders were doing. They had watched Jesus. Essentially, you must understand, he'd been doing all sorts of crazy stuff, healing people and making, making miraculous amounts of food. And they said, can you give us a, a sign? They wanted to test whether or not to see a thing could be done. They remained outside wanting to know in each individual case, Jesus, I'm not, I'm not quite sure I buy in yet. I'm not sure I'm all in. Can you prove it to me? Again. Now, I'm a big fan of critical thinking. I'm a big fan of exploring whether or not something is true. I think it is important for us. I come from a skeptical position where I want to know if something is true. But Jesus caught something in there, continued, ongoing, day after day, questioning of who he was and the call he was making. And it essentially said, Is what you want to see here is you want to find a reason not to follow me. Because no matter what I show you, still you want to test and see whether or not this thing can be done, whether or not I am worth you following me. They came to test Jesus, not to follow him. And after time after time, he threw up his hands and he says, No, no, (laughs) I've given you sign after sign after sign. You ought to be able to read the signs of the times and see what's going on. And yes, one final thing, I will rise from the dead. But as long as you remain in this mode of simply testing to find the reason not to follow, you'll remain not following. So then it goes on and he begins to speak to his disciples and he says, when the disciples went to the other side, they forgot to take bread. Watch out, Jesus said to them, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So they began to discuss this among themselves, saying, it's because we brought no bread. Now, Steve said, I add another word to the Bible all the time, which is seriously. This is one of those places Jesus goes, seriously? Really, later in this passage, he, he says, how in the world? Okay, I added in the world too. How could you have thought I was talking about bread? I mean, it's a metaphor, people. So he looks at him and he says, <sighs> when Jesus learned of this, he said, you have such little faith. Why are you arguing among yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000? How many baskets you took up or the seven loaves for the 4,000? How many baskets you took up? How could you not understand that I was not speaking to you about bread? That's really my translation is seriously bread. But beware the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood that he had told them to be on guard against, not against the yeast and the bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. See, Jesus finds something in their continual testing that he says, you need to be on on your guard. Yeast in bread is something that seems small and yet spreads and takes over the whole thing. So you need to be on your guard against the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, because you see what they are anxious to have is control over the terms of how they live their life and about how they follow God. You need to be on your guard against that, because as long as you remain in a mode of standing back and questioning each thing and finding the reason not to follow, you'll never follow. That will infect everything. And so, practically speaking, when God calls you to do something, you'll find the reason why it's not true. In the, I, I almost showed that this clip today, but I thought you'll know it anyway. In Bruce Almighty, I love the couple of scenes in Bruce Almighty where he's asking for signs. If you haven't seen Bruce Almighty, seriously, go see it. It's worth seeing. It's that funny. Anyway, it's where Bruce Almighty asks for signs from Morgan Freeman, who is God. And it's absolutely, you know, he's got his hands behind his back. You know, how many fingers do I have? And he keeps changing, it. and then he goes to five, and God says seven. He raises his hand, ha but he has seven fingers in the hand. And then he says, "I God, if you just have a sign, and as he drives through, there's all these flashing signs, beware, watch out. And Jesus says, essentially, as long as you live in the place of always asking God to prove it, you'll never really follow. No matter how much theology you have correct, as long as your remaining control becomes the issue, it will infect everything, and you'll never really follow me. And so, you'll never really expe- experience the kingdom of God. Now, then he goes on. The next section, we're building here, people. The next section says this. When Jesus came to the area of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, well, who do the people say that the son of man is? That's his phrase for himself. It comes from a passage in the Old Testament, actually, the book of Daniel, where the son of man is a, is a, a picture of a... Um, being of, of divine origin. It says, Who do people ask, say who the Son of Man is? And it says, who do they say I am? They answered, Well, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Now, this is an important question. It goes from theoretical to personal. Okay, that's, that's great. You've had your theories about this. What do you think? You've walked with me, you've seen me. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, You're blessed, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And it's Cephas, it means rock. And on this rock I will build my church, (coughs) and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you release on earth will have been released in heaven. Then he instructed his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. As fascinating, they're all sort of debating and Peter boldly steps up and he goes, I know who you are. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus goes, bingo, correct answer. But then that moment, so different from his reaction to the Pharisees. That moment he begins speaking, he goes, okay, that's it. Now we can actually get somewhere. You've gone beyond a theoretical perspective of who I am and you understand me. And we're now entering into personal connection with one another. And that will be the basis of everything. If you stick with that, if you can stick with the fact that I am the living God who has come to redeem you and you connect with me, everything will change. That leads to the passage that I was telling you about. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. And after many... And suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and experts in law, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. So Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. God forbid, Lord, this must not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. Which is really interesting. Again, I'm not going to show you this, but when you actually click on that, it says, Don't follow me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me because you're not setting your mind on God's interest but on man's. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wants to become my follower, he must deny himself take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what does it benefit a person if he gains the whole world but forfeits his life? Or what can a person give in exchange for his life? When all said and done, Jesus says this. Okay, look. If you want to maintain control of the process, by which you follow me, that yeast, not bread, will fill your entire life. And you'll never really follow. You'll always find a reason not to. No matter how many signs you're given, no matter how proof you're given, you'll always find a reason not to. However, if you understand that I am the son of the living God who came for a relationship with you and you embrace that, Well, now we have a whole different ballgame. You see, the extremity of the call of Christianity is driven out of the nature of what it is. Few people will die for theory. I sure won't. Few people will give their life for a set of rules or practices. The Pharisees were probably decent people, no worse, no better than you and I. They simply sought to maintain control of their lives. And they created carefully, carefully constructed sets of rules and commandments and obligations. And they were fastidious about them. They sought to do them well. They were far more meticulous, most likely, than you and I were about what would be considered proper religious practices. They were careful. And yet something was completely off. They had no connection whatsoever with God. They set the terms for how their life would be lived. And if God happened to fit their terms, then they would place him in there. And if he didn't, then they questioned. And what Jesus would say is, for all of their care and for all of their meticulous, they missed it. Completely missed it. Because no one will give their life sets of rules and obligations. No one. And what I'm asking you to do is to follow me, to dive in wholeheartedly. And you can only give that when you realize that I am the Son of the living God, the Savior, who loves you, who died for you, who rose for you, and now comes to live with you. The truth about Christianity is this. Christianity is an all-in or not in at all. It's not part way. You can't be partially pregnant. You can't be sort of a Christian. You're either all in, or you're not. It's Texas Hold'em. You don't hold any chips back. You place everything in the middle, and put all of your life in connection with relationship with Jesus. One, want uh, there's a pastor in another church, <clears throat> who in talking about this concept of What's our job and what's God's job? He said this. Essentially, our job is, imagine you are skydiving. <clears throat> At some point, you have to jump out of the plane. And nobody can jump for you. Now, you don't have to skydive. You don't. And you don't have to jump out of the plane. However, if you don't, don't jump out of the plane, you'll never have skydived. You'll have ridden around in a plane. I think often we ride around in a plane. We ride around in a plane and we look over the edge about what the possibilities are. We sense that maybe God is calling us to do something or to act a certain way. And we stare out there and we go, can I just ask a couple other questions about, that looks really far. I'm just curious, what's the exact drop there? Okay, and, and how fast will I be going? How often have we tested this chute? Okay, so this is packed right now. I'll be the first one to pull it open. Is that, is that correct? I'm just, you know, I'm not, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to question. I'm just wondering. Just want to get the facts straight here. And, and what, how, how often have you taught the whole rolling process? You can ask day after day after day, but at some point you got to jump out the plane, or you will not have skydived, you have, will have ridden around in a plane. The one thing God cannot do for you, apparently will not do for you, is jump out of the plane. He says to them, all in, come follow me. Give your whole life into a connection with me. But you got to do it. You're the one who actually has to jump out of the plane. The end of the day, the biggest difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of me, between living a life that may be you know reasonably nice and socially upstanding but not actually experiencing the fullness of a connection with god that flows over all of our life is who sets the terms will it be me questioning deciding i'll follow that not that i'll do this not that now you understand we never phrase it that way ever 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 if you're if you're a christian you never phrase it that way I never phrase it that way. Seriously, I never go, oh, no, 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 God's telling me to do this, or I have a sense that this is the right way to live, or I ought not do that, but I'm, I'm going to do that anyway. What we do is, much like the Pharisees, we go, well, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. This, this is different, I think. You know, I, I, I realize that it, it appears like that ought to be what I'm supposed to do or not supposed to do, but this is different right here. And I have some questions. The kingdom of God is a place where we let God set the terms. And he says, jump. Really, just dive in relationship with me. Follow me down the paths I lead you to. And if you do so, you will experience a life beyond your wildest dreams. The biggest barrier between the kingdom of God and us is the kingdom of me. It's me deciding how far I'm going to be in. At the end of the day, it's, All in or not in at all? It's surrender. The very, very fearful thing about surrender is when you give up control, you know what happens? You give up control. And you can only give up control if you're confident in the person that you're giving it to. And so the story of the Bible is the story of a God who pursued you, who loves you desperately. Who proved his love by coming to earth, living for 33 years on this planet, going to a cross, being crucified, and then rising again and calling you to himself. And he says, Trust me. I promise you, I will lead you into a fuller life if you follow me. I promise you. I promise you that that will be the abundant life. I promise you that I have greater desires hopes and dreams and possibilities for you than you could ever architect on your own. I promise you that. So, will you follow me? And when we hear those words, we're standing at the edge of the open door of the plane and trying to decide if we're going to jump or not. And somebody looks at us and says, trust me, I packed your chute. I've let people do this a thousand times. Trust me. Go ahead and go. And then we jump. I remember the first time I did, jumped off a cliff, there was water below it. That was important, I think. And as I did it, it was in a rock quarry. And it was when I was 17 years old. And I was with a friend who was relatively crazy, quite honestly. And as we got to about a 30-foot, I mean, seriously, you know, it, it might have been seven feet, but t- to me, it was 30 feet. And, and, and maybe by a few years from now, it's going to be 40 or 50. I don't know. It was high. It was high. And as I stood on the edge of it, he came up there. My friend's name was Sean. He came up there and I went, oh, cool. And he jumped. And then he hit the water. And he goes, come on. And I went there. and I said, okay. All right. I stood and I stood there. He's in the water. He goes, Bruce, jump. I just did it. I didn't really trust Sean because Sean would have jumped off anything, but then I jumped. and It was awesome. It really was. I mean, have you, any of you all done that? It's, it's an amazing experience. You're jumping and it's, you're falling farther than feels natural, and then you hit the water and you come up and it was really fun. That's just jumping off a cliff. I mean, if I had never done that, my life would not have been wrecked. It added a moment of adventure. But if I'd never jumped, I would have never jumped. And I would not want to what it feels like. If you never make that step of jumping into relationship with God, which means, really, it means every day what I do is I say, God, the day is before you. Would you lead me today? And when you lead me, I'm all in. That is the parameter. That's the... Central ingredient to the abundant life, to life in the kingdom of God. Every day, God, I'm on the edge of the cliff. I'm jumping. Show me where to go today. As we come to communion this morning, my encouragement to you is this. If you are somebody who has never jumped, has never really entered a relationship with Jesus, you have stood back and and maybe with good questions. It was years from the point I heard about Jesus to the point that I jumped into relationship with him. If you've, if, it may have been years. I understand that. But if you've never really jumped, this is, the, this, is, this is one of those moments. You're at the edge of the plane. And God is offering you an abundant and full life. And today as you come to communion, as you grab that bread and wine, you can simply say to God, God, I, you know what? I'm all in. Somebody who loves me that much and who offers me a full life, I'm, I'm all in. And ask for forgiveness and you'll receive it. And ask for a relationship with him and receive it. And for those of you who are followers of Jesus, my encouragement to you is as we get older, and by older I mean 22, 23, 24, as each year passes, the temptation to become more guarded and cautious increases. As every year passes, we feel like we have more to lose. And yet the call is exactly the same every day. The one who is willing to lose his life for my sake will find it. If you're a follower of Jesus, find your life again today by coming to communion and saying, God, once again, I'm all in. Show me where to go. I'll follow you today. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the power of counterintuitive your words that you speak, which cut across our bluster and our rationale and sometimes our excuses and calls to the simplicity of a life well-lived, a life where you are God and, and we are not, a life where, yes, our brains are fully engaged, but they're fully engaged in seeking to know you and understand you and follow you, a life where our wills are connected to you so that when you call, we follow hard, And so we experience things that we never would, apart from your leading and your power. Thank you for the teaching. Thank you for showing us a different way, a more powerful way than we would find on our own. And thank you most of all for the death and resurrection of Jesus, our Savior, who has broken down the barriers between us and you so that we now can connect with you, know you, and follow you in the adventure you give us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. May you walk out today knowing that, yes, there is a jump before you. But that jump is into the presence of a God who loves you, who has fought for you, who walks alongside you, who has your very best interests at heart. May you know, really, that what stands before you is a life of fullness. Loving God, loving others, experiencing the depths of hope and power and renewal in your life that you've always wanted. May you know that today, God calls you into that abundant life. And that the moment you receive the death and resurrection of Jesus for your life, from that day and every day forward, you have the love of God, your Father. You have the grace of Jesus that covers over all of your sin. You have the presence of His Spirit in your life. Now go in peace.